Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong. And I'm Nathan Taylor. Welcome to Earthlink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands and Métis Region 3. So what do you have for us this month, Nathan? Well, Jenny, this one's from the archive, the Internet Archive. I'll be talking about two great works of film analysis I found there, perfect for the gift-giving season. I have an interview with Rohit Chikani, the new artistic director of Alberta Theatre Projects. Today I have Rohit Chokani from Alberta Theatre Projects to talk about his new role there. So I guess uh, introduce yourself and tell me what you're doing at Alberta Theatre Projects. Well, I'm freshly, freshly arrived here in Calgary and in this uh, exciting role. Uh, formally, my title is Artistic and Executive Director. So is the role of a visionary at a high level, uh, trying to make sure that uh, we define the vision for the 50 years ahead. And obviously, everybody in the theater world right now is affected by the COVID pandemic. So the biggest priority right now is to how to bring back live theater arts uh, on our stages and how to bring back uh, audiences back into the stages. And uh, we open our biggest show for the season uh, in Wonderland in a few days on the 26th. Uh, we uh, So I'm pretty excited because that's going to be my first production in this new role. And uh, I arrived here only two weeks ago, so everything is new from the city and the company. But I'm really excited and I'm really looking forward to meeting more people in the community. And so how's your uh, introduction to the city so far? I mean, I've been I've been introduced to the city before because uh, for the last 10 years I was working in Vancouver. But uh, given my previous roles, I have come to Calgary quite often to check out shows or to meet artists and some friends. So I have been introduced to the city before. But in terms of like uh, moving here and uh, settling in, uh, so far so good. Uh, I'm I'm still uh, trying different neighborhoods and living in uh, Airbnbs and hotels to just give a, get a feel for different neighborhoods before I settle into a neighborhood. But it's been a great welcome. Uh, all the theater artists and uh, community leaders have reached out to me, and it's, I've been kind of happy and overwhelmed with how many people have like uh, shown their support and love for my appointment. And, uh, of course, at ATP, we had a great welcoming lunch with the entire team there. And then, and then I'm slowly settling into the role, but I'm grateful for the opportunity from my team as well as the board of directors and, and the extended large community that ATP represents. So you've established a career in Vancouver in the theater scene there. So what uh, made you accept the role at ATP? I mean, there are two reasons uh, in terms of accepting this role. Like there's a personal reason and there's a professional reason. In terms of the professional reason, obviously, um, I have been uh, I had a background in digital arts uh, somewhere in my 20s when I was uh, working in the U.S. And then last decade and pretty much my entire 30s have been in Vancouver. So uh, in terms of my next career step, I was reflecting as I got into my 40s and, and I felt like this would be the next great step for me in terms of career. Like, I mean, Alberta Theatre Projects is known a very well-renowned company nationally and even internationally. And they're really well-known for creating new works and well-known for their work. And, and that is something that I'm really passionate about myself. So I felt like the right the next career step. Uh, personally, I felt like uh, I, uh, I love Vancouver and I still uh, will hope to visit uh, to check out shows or collaborate with people in this new role. But um, but I think it was time for a change for me. You know, I think it's part of me going to my 40s and needing to like settle down and wanting a certain vision for my life. And I felt like uh, being in Calgary, I love the mountains, I love Bath being around the corner. 
and also like some people that I know here and their lifestyle, I felt like it was the next evolution in my personal journey as well uh, to come to Calgary and uh, embrace uh, all the different seasons that it has to offer and all the nature it has to offer. I will definitely miss the ocean of uh, Vancouver, but uh, I will not miss the rain and I do enjoy the sun a lot and there's a lot more sun in in Calgary. So, so far I've been getting a lot of sunny days here, so I'm grateful for that. All right. And so what, what is your vision for ATT going forward? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm a visionary leader, so I have some ideas, but a lot of my leadership is like very collaborative. So I feel like uh, as a leader, as a BIPOC leader coming from uh, outside the town, I think my, my vision is not like I'm not coming here with like, oh, I'm going to do these 10 things or anything like that. I think I think the biggest priority for us right now is to how do we recover artistically and financially from COVID and how do we start bringing back our audiences. Uh, so I think the, my first 100-day plan, as I like to call it, is to just meet a lot of people in the community. Um, uh, so I think the vision is going to come about based on my meetings with people that we currently work with, but also like meeting people and meeting communities that we haven't engaged with in the in the in the past, and also meeting uh, artists uh, in the Calgary community, but also Alberta at large and nationally Canada at large, because we are at our ATP Alberta Theatre Projects have now about to come closer to our 50th in our year anniversary. So, it would I would like to hear from the community members as to what they would like us to do in the next 50 years. I mean, there are some like high-level points, like obviously Alberta Theatre Projects is known for creating new works and giving opportunities to uh, first productions of new scripts as well as second or third productions. So that is something that we've known and that's our identity. So that is obviously going to continue. And how do we do that during a pandemic is a big question. Um, We have over like 15 different commissions and new works under development. So continuing and supporting those playwrights and artists is going to be, is going to continue under my uh, leadership. But then also, how do we support uh, people from different backgrounds, be it uh, female-identifying artists and uh, leaders, or be it uh, LGBTQ plus uh, community members, or be it like uh, BIPOC uh, artists? So those those are the things that I have a track record in doing in the past, and that's something that I would like to do more at ATP, and that is definitely a strategic priority for us as well. But other than that, everything else will evolve based on the people that I meet and what the community wants us to do in the next uh, little while. Yeah. Uh, I know Alberta Theatre Projects has done uh, different programs to encourage BIPOC audiences as well as artists to get involved. And so one thing I remember is the a partnership with the Calgary Immigrant Women's Association. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's exactly the kind of things that we need to keep doing, and I think I think we can do more, and uh, and we want to do that more. And uh, I mean, the city of Calgary itself is changing right now in terms of demographics. So, uh, and there's a lot of uh, great uh, value-based conversations happening in our community. The 3550 initiative is doing some really important work in this as well. So. Uh, I look forward to meeting all those community leaders and continuing that work. But I, I certainly do feel that we can do more uh, as a as a theater industry, as the theater community of Calgary, and certainly at ATP uh, Alberta Theater Projects as well. And so, tell me about the current show that's being going into December. 
Yeah, I know. It's a it's a little bit of a, it's a very exciting thing to do. And uh, uh, as you may know, and as some of your listeners might know, like uh, we have like this annual family show holiday season uh, tradition. So we've historically done a show that is appealing to the family so that all of the family members can come together and enjoy the holiday season. But how do you continue to do that during a pandemic is a big question. And uh, I'm really excited about this show, which is being directed by interim artistic director Hasem Kadri. So he was the artistic director while they were trying to recruit my position. And uh, and he has uh, put together this really exciting uh, show in really, <laughs> really difficult circumstances to rehearsal. And, uh, and all the processes are all complicated because of the COVID. But we're really excited by In Wonderland, which is uh, which is uh, based on Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. And it's adapted by Anna Kummer. And it's a world premiere. We have three world premieres in this season, and we're starting with this one. And this is our biggest show for the season. And it's going to be like a really exciting journey for the family. It's going to be spectacular and stunning with three actors performing a whole range of characters. And uh, it's going to be everything that we've uh, consistently delivered as our holiday show. And it's going to be an exciting thing for families to come together and watch it. Uh, we're opening. Uh, uh, we are opening on November 23rd, and it goes on all the way till uh, December 26th. So there's a lot of opportunities to check it out. Uh, and uh, I mean, we went into rehearsals the second day of my job, so <laughs> it's been an exciting wild ride to make all of this happen. And the first preview is on November 23rd, and the opening is on 26th. So we're really excited for that. Yeah. All right, and I guess that's it for today. Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, it's really, I'm really grateful for everybody who has welcomed me, and it's a huge honor to get this position. So I want to thank your listeners uh, for welcoming me. And we have, besides the holiday show, we have three more shows happening uh, later on in early 2022. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to uh, go to our website and check out these shows and maybe buy a subscription or maybe come and watch a, a show or two. And I can promise you that things are very safe. And we just did a show, Stealing Sam. And when I came, like it was my first day I arrived and I saw the people in the, in the audience watching a live show and everybody who was coming out of the theater was just like blown away by, by just feeling, feeling really awesome to be able to watch something live. And they all felt comfortable. And our team has put together a really great health and safety plan to make it easy for people to come and watch shows. So I encourage everybody to uh, give it a try and give us a try. And I hope to see your listeners uh, in one of the shows. And I'll be there in the lobby and my team will be in their lobby to support them. Uh, And uh, and it's exciting to have live arts again. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Rohit, for your time today. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with us. And happy holidays. Uh, A little bit in advance, but happy holidays to your listeners. yeah. Yeah, happy holidays. Thank you. Hi, this is Jenny again. That was my interview with Rohit Chokani, the new artistic director of Alberta Theatre Projects. Now here is a song by Green Lights Music. The song is called This Is The Road featuring Aloe. This is the road. in the lane. 
same Should've quit what I mean Get some grit What a shame Lift the script Change the name Get a grip Seize the pain Pain We all gotta Go against the grain Gotta build And gain some terrain Set to rest mode And never be the same Pick it up Dust it off Light it up Molotov Louder than a bomb Emotions that are bottled up 16 year old Black star hero Headphone earlobe Got me out of fear mode Long time coming For the fall guy Running Small fry gunning With the eyes on the stomach What an all time bummer Songs with no summer Tips but no numbers Quarter tank to go somewhere Peace, contentment Happiness The streets in action Fabulous Serious strong plots Like the movie Bird Band A series of long shots And that's about the meaning of hilarious of song Jots and carries us all Watch a tangent of the rabbit hole Random with the magic So horizons beyond us Like Elon Musk While we dirty up the diesel To the Dijon dust Quarter-inch radio shack microphone Double-click the 8-track when mama ain't home Seeds have been planted, threads have been sown Paid with all my time so I didn't feel alone Guess I mistook which one of us had get grown That old microphone's almost too small to hold I ain't mad at it though, tatted on my soul But if I burn another bridge, I'ma burn it on my own Better than we ever been, the weather starts to settle in Saw the ribbon down the road, the goal is always play to win Bumps in the road, some calling force, I call it instinct They got me when I'm lost and represent I what the gift is The present in the present Unwrap the lesson on these tracks While reapplying bloody dressings The blessing, understand Que esto no duele It only hurts when I'm away from this Addressing all my peers with the pounder Just a thumbs up And stressing all these ears all around Busting drums up Crowd surfing in the room full of mannequins My DJ is a robot, do my verse And now it's back to him To keep my sanity, the world was on It's just show, I guess there's practice in my perfect You can let these hits go I maintain screw the car and a chain The only thing off my chest is a heart and some veins song is called This is the Road featuring Aloe by Green Lights Music. They are a group from Chicago. Now here is co-host Nathan Taylor. Hello. I'm going to cover some more free stuff you can get with an internet connection, and they also happen to be my favorite works of film analysis. What made this segment possible is the section on archive.org called The Wayback Machine, which has been crawling the internet, saving web page content since 2001. The first is about John Carpenter's 1982 film The Thing, and the second is an early version of a book about spaghetti westerns written by the director of Repo Man. When this episode is uploaded to cgsw.com, you'll find links to these great works. All About The Thing by Robert Meekin Published in 2006 on the comprehensive fan site for The Thing, Outpost 31, it begins with an introduction I found welcoming, 
the author has an uncynical opinion about film and ends by modestly telling us to read it, then forget about it. The author states that he believes the thing to be instructional in how it goes about telling a story and proceeds to explain the format of his book, which I'll quote part of here. This book takes the point of view of someone watching the movie. For that person, it doesn't matter if something appears in the film by accident or on purpose, if the writer put it there, or if an actor happened to improvise it. All that matters is what we see and how we respond to it." End quote. I've never read such a focused narrative from a film analysis before, and to keep things on a moment-to-moment -moment basis like that really made it an exciting read. The Thing, part of John Carpenter's sort of official Apocalypse trilogy, which includes Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness, is a paranoid, claustrophobic film that, like some of my favorite movies, features a realish sense of logistics and rules in its cinematic universe which help ground its fantastical properties. If you haven't yet seen it, it's a mostly one-setting film that, in its remote cold, details a series of confrontations between humans and a thing from another world that is able to take over the bodies of other organisms. Very much a whodunit kind of movie, it's based on a book aptly titled Who Goes There? It contains a couple of famous scenes at least as shocking as the chestburster scene in Alien, and Rob Botton's practical special effects to this day are both spectacular to watch and jaw-dropping to imagine how they were achieved. What I think makes this step-by-step -step analysis of the thing special is the way the author changed the way I watched the film and enhances the things I already liked about it by pushing the concepts a little further than I had considered on my own thus far. All About the Thing shows the events of the film to be just a litany of mistakes. Ones made by all involved, not just our ragtag group of humans, but mistakes and calculated risks made by the Thing itself. It emphasizes the interesting limitations of the creature, or creatures, and reminds us how much time, tissue, effort, and noise it risks with each overt move to assimilate someone. I quite like how the book supposes on the reasoning of the thing as a creature trying to survive, and how one thing sells out another to help draw suspicion away from itself. The author also writes about the pleasure of seeing characters on film that actually appear to be thinking about their next move, and I heartily agree, although what we're watching could be a smart move, or it could be the camera showing us the gears turning, and yet they still make another choice that could end up helping kill the world. Without taking away from the strong work Robert Meekin does by following this moment-by-moment -moment format, there are a couple of random musings he made that I thought were too good to leave without mention. When Kurt Russell gets mad at his computer after losing at chess and pours scotch into it, does the movie end the same way it begins? With a human giving alcohol to an inhuman opponent he has just lost to? Or consider this, what if both characters at the end are things? How would that change the context of their dialogue? Let's have a listen. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. At some point, this ebook disappeared from Outpost31.com, but I was able to retrieve it using the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine. So look for the link on CGSW when this episode of ArtsLink goes online, or find it yourself by searching Outpost31 from the Wayback Machine. It's a fun thing to use anyway. I do not know when it disappeared from the site, and I tried reaching out to the author for an interview, but was not successful in contacting him. 
I know The Thing itself, the movie, is not for everyone, but I hope this analysis will be an engaging, exciting read for anyone who cares to give it a try. That's All About The Thing by Robert Meekin. And now for a short musical interlude between The Thing and Spaghetti Westerns. And what better connecting thread could there be for a musical interlude than the music of Ennio Morricone, who did The Thing and also most Spaghetti Westerns. Here is his theme to my favorite Spaghetti Western, The Big Gun Down. Ten Thousand Ways to Die by Alex Cox, the 1978 version. My best memory of the old library tower here at the University of Calgary campus was browsing the film section of books and finding, randomly, that the man who had made three of my favorite movies had also written a book about spaghetti westerns. Calling it a director's take on the spaghetti western and intending it to be his thesis, Alex Cox, director of Repo Man, crafted this as a student in UCLA in the late 1970s and later revised it to be published in 2009. As you may know, spaghetti westerns were the Italian, made-in-Spain films with dubbed audio due to so many languages being spoken on set, and made most famous by the trilogy of Clint Eastwood films featuring the so-called Man With No Name, though Alex Cox points out that he has a name in all three movies. This early version of his book states in its introduction that, it's a young man's book, of interest to young men, maybe, and to young women, if any of you like these things. I don't blame you if you don't, since they are hideously sexist and thick-eared. What follows is an enthusiast's celebration of an unusual genre. 
whether the celebrations are justified, whether the Italian Western killed the genre or kept it alive for an extra decade, and what that means I'll address later in my old man's book. I haven't seen all of his films, but Alex Cox directed at least two quote-unquote westerns, Walker, starring Ed Harris, and Straight to Hell, starring Joe Strummer. He's a born curator, and you can watch the many film introductions he did for Movie Drome on YouTube. He also states in his modern introduction that this version of his book followed the trend of the day, which was to arrange the chapters by theme, covering, for example, death, revenge, sex, madness, and religion, as separate chapters, rather than covering the films chronologically as the book now features. The section that covers good, ugly, and bad, in that order, lies under the heading Antagonists, and so you might find, as I did, that Cox knows these movies well and speaks a language most appropriate when discussing them. Take, for example, his description of a character as Tigrero, specialist in genocide. And in the movie drome introduction to Kiss Me Deadly, where the protagonist is the patriotic sadist private eye, Mike Hammer. The bad news about reading this book is that, as a proper analysis, it is spoilers galore for some obscure movies you might want to actually see. Good news is, if you keep in mind the alternate names these films have, YouTube makes it possible to work the book backwards from the index and watch for free the most interesting titles to skip around in. There is an actual From Simpsons real Troy McClure film you can watch. Hello, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such movies as Today We Kill, Tomorrow We Die. This particular film is more well known as Today It's Me, Tomorrow You, and I agree with the author that it's well worth a watch for the villain, El Fago, played by Tatsuya Nakadai, who was King Lear in Akira Kurosawa's Ran, but is most memorable to me for his role in Kurosawa's Sanjiro and the holy crap moment within. He has such good close-ups of his ever-changing wild man face, and he is most frightening using a kind of square machete-slash-cleaver in place of a katana blade. It is interesting to see what niggles the author has with certain scenes in more well-known spaghetti westerns, like how Sergio Leone's extended version of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly works to the detriment of the film. I agree. Also how on Leon's masterpiece, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, he rightfully describes uh, Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson having the daftest dialogue in the West. So you found out you're not a businessman after all. Just a man. An ancient race. Interestingly, he takes a tack on the logic of flashbacks that I have heard before and applies it to Leone's for a few dollars more. To me, it's missing the forest for the trees, but using his logic makes for a film arguably way crazier than is possible. I just don't see it, but read for yourself. If you like spaghetti westerns at all, you really ought to read 10,000 Ways to Die. Having read both versions of the book, I get the impression that the films Mr. Cox spoke the highest of were, uh, for a few dollars more, The Great Silence and Django Kill. Anticipating those who may indeed consider spaghetti westerns to be thick-eared, and that the Clint Eastwood Sergio Leone trilogy isn't for you, I would still suggest the following three titles as just good all-around entertaining movies that happen to be spaghetti westerns. We'll keep Django Kill in that list because it is oh so crazy, uh, and very nasty, uh, but we'll add in a couple fun ones. I would uh, absolutely recommend the movies starring Lee Van Cleef, uh, Sabata, and The Big Gun Down. Absolutely. So that's 10,000 Ways to Die by Alex Cox. 
Well, that's it for Film Clips in 2021. From me and Jenny, we'll talk to you folks again in January. Hello, this is Fred Frith. You're listening to CJSW 90.9. Believe that and you'll believe anything. Hi, Sayoji-san. Hi, Hi Sayoji-san.